Hi, Well family. My name is Annie. I've been a Covenant member here for about two years now. Um, I'm part of the Show Creek CG, and I serve on the welcome team. Today, I'll be reading from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, how are you? All right, that's good. That felt good right there. Uh, you don't know me. The majority of you don't know me. And before we get started, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this, I'm just going to put it right over here, and we'll consult that as we go. But we're going to talk you and me today for a while, and we'll get back to that periodically as we go. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, by the way, if I'm, if I'm hot, just turn the mic down, brother, because I know I talk loud. Most of y'all in here don't know me, but I was here before you, and I have some things to set straight before we get started. The first one, all of you people wearing sneakers. I started that, all right? First off, I started that. I was the wearing sneakers in here when they were still having conversations in the elder meeting like, is it okay to spend that much money on sneakers? I don't know. Should he be doing that? I really can't tell you. And now all y'all wear them. So I wanted to get that straight right off the bat, right from the jump, so that you know what's on your feet came from your boy, all right? Needed to set that straight. Yeah, thank you, thank you, yeah, there we go. So, second thing I really needed to set straight is to just say thank you. Now, we're gonna take a pretty hard little kind of right turn here, because I really did have that pressing on me for about the past four years or so, so that came out real strong. But I wanted to simply say thank you. Uh, this is like a homecoming for me in so many ways. Y'all have to understand that, that when I got hired at this church as a church planting resident, Tori, it was probably like 180 people. I mean, it was, it was dramatically different than what you see here today. In fact, that young woman that was just up here talking and being real smooth and being like, hi, my name is Stephanie, you know? Please buckle up on this ride. You know, like, why are we young woman? I had that woman and her not yet husband, I want to say, uh, at my house for dinner when they just started coming to this church. And so this is like a homecoming for me, despite the fact that none of my home knows me. Uh, and so I just wanted to simply say thank you, uh, because without y'all, what we're doing in Southeast Austin wouldn't be possible without the way you serve this body, without the way you pour into this body. I want you to know that when you come out here and you dedicate yourself and you serve in this body and you give and you participate and you build a healthy community of faith around you. It empowers that man right there to go out and to give of himself in ways that start to empower other people. And those people go and start to empower other people. And before you knew it, before you know it, there's like four or five degrees of difference between what you do here and the people that are impacted on the other side of what you give in this building. But it all comes from when you come here and say, I'm going to give myself here. And I want you to know that. And I want to say thank you. And before you clap, hold on. 
I'm gonna tell you to clap for yourself in one second. Uh, I also just wanna say thank you to my brother. Like, Tori is like, we just got through like two weeks ago being like, I hate it when people call me best friends because most of the people that call me their best friend and I ain't their best friend. But uh, what I will say is that Tori, hey, he said the same thing too. We were in there in that meeting and Tori was like, bro, everybody calls me best friend. And I'm like, I don't even know this dude. Uh, so Tori is actually one of my best boys, uh, a, a man that I come to. Ooh, I ain't gonna cry. I am gonna cry. Uh, a man that I come to with absolutely anything in my life and that a man that's come to me with anything in my, ooh, dog, I can't look at you, bro. Um, so I just want to tell him that I love him and that I'm grateful to be here and the fruit of, of the hand, uh, the fruit of the labor that that man has put himself to has been so impactful to so many people. And you are deeply lucky in this place to call that man your pastor and to be led by that man. And so give him a round of applause. Um, and now, uh, give yourself a round of applause. I want to say thank you, too, again, for everything you do. So, the well, give yourself a round of applause. All right, so that took longer than it was supposed to, and I got to get going because I'm a 40-minute preacher on a 30-minute clock today. Uh, and so, we're going to go ahead and jump in. I'm here to talk about serving the city. I'm here to talk about serving the city. And here's the thing. For a lot of y'all in here, you live in Austin. Maybe you moved to Austin. Maybe you're from Austin. And you like the thought of serving your city. You like the thought of doing community service, and you like the thought of being someone that gets their hands dirty. You're probably out here like, fam, I got into UT off of my community service, right? Like, you're out here and you love it. But here's the thing. Despite the fact that we all here probably enjoy a measure of community service to an extent, to some degree, the reality of something like serving is difficult to quantify. It's difficult to measure. Because here's the thing. Everybody likes serving. Like I said, you don't gotta be a Christian in the city of Austin to like serving, that's not, you ain't, let me, let me tell you lovingly, you like serving in here, you ain't unique. You ain't unique, this whole city loves serving, and, and it's not just Christians that love it. It's, it's, it's a lot of people that love it, but here's the thing, where serving takes a different context, where it takes a different nature, where it takes a different story, a different narrative, when we enter into the Christian faith, is that while we all go out and serve, and maybe the people you know go out and serve, and maybe there's organizations that go out and serve, they produce a fruit, they produce impact for a day, they produce impact maybe for a month, maybe for a year, maybe they create some generational impact, but there's only one type of service. I want you to hear what I'm saying right now, there's only one type of service. There's only one type of serving that makes eternal impact. You can go out here and the whole city of Austin come together and be like, we don't want to see another homeless person ever. Not because you want to kick them out, but rather because you want to serve them and, and make sure that everyone is housed and maybe that whole life gets changed. And that's amazing. I ain't trying to down that. But family, listen to me. There's only one type of serving that produces eternal change that takes a life, that takes a heart, that takes a soul, that takes a spirit and mends it and brings wholeness and brings peace. Only one type of serving that does that. Today we wanna to explore that type of serving because what I ain't here to do, I was mad bright behind me, dog. That, that scared the mess out of me, dog. I thought the Lord had come back for a whole second. Okay, so. <laughs> Uh, because, I don't know, forgot what I was going to say. Um, because hear me, what I'm not here to do today is to look at you and say, go serve more and just be a better servant. Go get in like your, you know, um, community service hours or whatnot. That's not what I'm here to do. 
I'm here to connect you to the one that brings hope through serving, the one that brings meaning to serving, and the one without whom serving does nothing more than give a man a fish. And, and with that, what, what I, if I was going to kind of put into a sentence what I would want you to take away today, it would be this, that, that only through understanding our hope are we empowered to serve the city around us. Only through understanding our hope are we empowered to serve, to truly serve the city around us. What we're going to do with this is that to kind of grasp this idea better, we're going to work through Jeremiah 29, the few verses that we read. But we're going to pull out two ideas from this verse, and we're going to really try to apply them to our lives and apply them to how we serve and, and what we do in serving and how we see serving. The two ideas are this. We're going to look at the commands found in Jeremiah 29. Because there's some really explicit, really, I mean, just in your face, they're very direct commands that, hear me, if you take those, put them in the bank, you're going to go out here and you're going to serve better. And I want you to do that. But after that, we're going to take a look at the call that seems to be present in Jeremiah 29. And from there, we're going to start understanding how once we introduce this idea of our actual hope, once we introduce this idea of of what brings us hope and what, where our hope actually is and, and who our hope actually is, that, that it starts to bring life to this serving, bring life to these commands in a way that, that nothing else can. And so to get started, uh, we're going to go ahead and start with this idea of the commands that are here. And I'm going to go ahead and reread this text because uh, it's only a few verses and we're at church. You should be expecting to read the Bible. Uh, so verse 4 in, verse tw- in chapter 29 starts out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We're going to stop there for a second. That's verse 4. And that sets the stage for what we're talking about today, for who we're talking about today. This is one of those verses where if I'm up here saying I'm going to talk to you about serving today, you'd probably get this verse and be like, that checks out, right? That makes sense. It seems to all work, and you're going to give us a good message about how to take care of people and how to seek the welfare of some people, and that's going to be good. But once we, oh, man, it's gone. Um, All right, so, but once we, yeah, leave it up there for a little bit, bro, if you can. Uh, But once we actually start getting that verse in our our crawl here, verse 4, the texture of a verse like this starts to be built out, and it starts to take on a flavor that only this verse can pull out when it comes to serving. Because that word right there, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem and Babylon, is Jerusalem to Babylon, is really important. This verse is written during the Hebrew exile, roughly around 600 B.C., this period of time where the Hebrew middle class to elite were taken from their home, largely in Jerusalem, and they were shipped 1,500 uh, miles to another city called Babylon. And during this time, during the reign of the oppressor uh, Babylon, they were put into what amounted to Hebrew ghettos, these enclaves of, of their community uh, that were all forced into certain areas to live. And while they could walk around freely and they could live freely, and while they could do kind of what they wanted to for all intents and purposes regarding their freedom and regarding if they could just leave Babylon whenever they wanted to, they were an oppressed and captive people. They were an oppressed and captive people. The Hebrew people from Jerusalem now living in Babylon. And here's the thing. For centuries prior to this, uh, prophets for 
in Jerusalem had been like, man, y'all got to get it together. Y'all got to get it together. Y'all are, are all up and down. You're living wild. You're acting crazy. And I'm telling you right now, out of love, uh, God's going to come down and he's going to judge and he's going to discipline us. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. And they kept saying over and over again, get it together, get it right. But, but the thing is, Jerusalem, the Hebrews, they never listened. And so one day, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out comes the Babylonians. They decided, no, your land is now my land. And you are now mine. And they marched them all the way to Babylon. And that's where they find themselves. And, and still, in the midst of all that, in the midst of hearing, man, years of, 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 of prophets being like, hey, man, please come back to the Lord. Please repent. Please lay your heart before him and obey him and love him and follow him. Because if you don't, someone's going to come. And God is going to discipline us through the strong hand of another leading us to another place. There were still false prophets like that. Damn, y'all don't got to worry. We're over here in the middle of nowhere. We're an oppressed people, but, but you don't got to worry. That's only gonna, it's only going to be like a couple of years out here in exile. It's only going to be a couple of years, and it's going to be a joy. It's going to be fine. Then we're going to head back home, and everything's going to be okay. But here's the thing. This is where our Jeremiah text comes in, because Jeremiah was one of the few people prior to that that was like, no, that's not going to be where it's going to go. That's not how that's going to happen. You see, God has something to teach us here. God has something to teach us in the midst of the hardship God has something to teach us in the midst of our struggling. He's not going to send us here and guide us here and, and even be with us here just to kind of give us a little slap on the wrist and send us home. That's not the way God works. God's not your, your mom. God's not your dad just giving you a quick punishment because they want you to act different. God is the creator of life that knows the depths of the human heart, who places us in every season intricately and intimately so that he can shape and form who you are and make you more into who he called you and who he made you to be. And so he comes in, he's like, no, no, we ain't gonna be here for two years. We ain't gonna be here for three years. We ain't gonna be here for four years. I sound like LeBron right now. Um, we ain't gonna be here for five years, six years, seven years. We're gonna be here for 70 years. 70 years we're gonna be here. In essence, some of you listening to what I'm saying here are not gonna live to see the outside of this city. You will die here. You will not see home again. But in Jeremiah 29, we finally start to have this sort of, uh, there's an uptick to the tone. I'll say it like that, right? After 28 chapters, if you read Jeremiah, there's 28 chapters of Jeremiah being like, this is going to be awful. And then in 29, he comes back in and he says, no, you know what? But here's the thing. Your God, he sees you and he loves you. And he's made promises to you. And he's going to guide you. And he's going to redeem you. And he's going to restore you. And in Jeremiah, that kind of gives context to the whole like Jeremiah 29, 11 verse that y'all all got on your wall, you know, where God has big plans for you. And he does. He has good plans for you. They're beautiful. But just know some of those plans might be tagged along with some hard things. Just know that some of those plans may be wrought out and maybe shaping your life through some suffering and through some struggles. And it might be some suffering, some struggles that you put yourself in, but God graciously redeems in his hands. That's what that verse actually means. But it's here that Jeremiah starts kind of getting an upward tone, and, and he tells them, hey, you're here, but I, I need you to do a couple of things while you're settling down here, because here's the thing. What I want you to do, well, let's say it like this. Let's say it like this. When he gets there and he tells him, you're going to be there for 70 years, 
A lot of us, if we're thinking about God just being protective of us or God taking care of us, we might just start to think, well, well, maybe Jeremiah's word from the Lord about the next 70 years is going to look like him telling him to create an enclave, a a culture, a a a group of people that protects themselves, that shelters themselves, that takes care of one another, but that's not what he does. You you may think that he says, okay, well, I want you to do the next 70 years. I want you to just stage several coups. And I want you to find really great leaders, and I want you to rebel, and I want you to overtake right, the, the enemy oppressor, and I want you to fight for freedom, and I want, we're going to make a movie about this, right? This is going to be 20th century Fox material right here. That's not what he does either. Rather, in 70 years, in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, he gives them a few specific commands about what they're supposed to use their time for. And he starts in these commands with this idea. Over these seven years, I want you to to make a presence here. Establish a presence in this city. This is actually what it means in verse 5 when he says, build houses and live in them. What does that mean? Well, establishing a presence looked like building a house. It looked like making a home and being in it and living in it. But here's the thing. This is what this meant. What Jeremiah was trying to tell them is be active in your community. You're here, and I know you're hurting but I want you to be involved in this place. I want you to to give yourself to this place. I want you to be present in this place. I want you to know what's happening in this place. I want you to have ideas about what's going on and and what people need, and and I want you to understand what people are longing for, and and I want you to ingrain yourself into this community. I live in a zip code that goes by the 78744. Uh, We call it the 44, and other people call it Dove Springs. Um, now, here's the thing. Ain't no one care about that. It makes me so freaking sad, okay? Gosh. All right, because I love my community. Southeast Austin, Dust Springs is a very well-known community here in Austin, but it's on the south side, so, of course, no one cares about it. Um, and so I live in that community. Now, here's the thing. In that community, there is a, a subject that builds as much tension as it does celebration. There is a, a, a hovering topic that brings as much dread as it does joy. And the subject is bike lanes. (laughs) Bike lanes in my community are a hot topic. Some people love them. Some people get out their bike and they drive around and they're just, you see them out there, they got spandex on, and they're just out there grinding. And then there's a vast majority of people in my community that absolutely hate them. They cannot stand them. They don't want them here, but all I know is that I I used to live on a road called Terry Road, and they started putting these bike lanes in, and it made the traffic wild, made the traffic wild. And then all of a sudden, what ended up happening was that we got word that they were going to start putting a bike lane at an insanely busy intersection, the intersection of Pleasant Valley and William Cannon. Okay, so, oh, look at a couple of people that know what I'm talking about. Oh, my gosh, because I got to let y'all know it took me like 40 minutes to get up here, okay? So the fact that anyone knows what I'm talking about right now makes me excited. But uh, I'm going to run into you, babies. I'm going to move you right there. Um, and so they started talking about where they're going to put these bike lanes. And this intersection is a bike, is, is an intersection that backs up for two miles as it is with the two lanes that are already there. But they started talking about how they were going to take one lane and make it into a bike lane. And now they're going to make it into a one-lane strip where that traffic was going to go back for who knows how long. If you don't know the 78744, it's a lot of working-class black and Hispanic families. And so a lot of people get in their car and drive to their job. And so getting, getting this intersection all the way back to was just going to be a travesty. But here's the thing. That's what God wants us to be a part of. Here's the thing. You come into this place and you think you escaped that world. You don't. 
In fact, God brings you here so that you can be enlivened, quickened with his spirit, so that you can be sent out into that world and understand the depths and the needs of that world and become ingrained in your community so that you know even the smallest details, the things that seem minuscule, the addition of a bike lane. And you would be like, no, man, but God's hand is on that. Why? Because I'm here. And that means he's here. And if these people care about it, and these are the people that God wants to meet, if these are the people that God wants to touch, if these are the people that God wants to save, and they care about it, then God cares about it. So I'm here, and I'm giving myself. Establish a presence. How? By being a part of the community. Build houses and live in them. But he goes on. After that, how else can you establish uh, your presence? Well, you can be a part of the economic life. Look at uh, verse 5 continues. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Now, some of y'all are like, I'm just nice. It means like make a garden in my backyard. This is still an agricultural society. People don't have garden yards. Like, this ain't what they do. Right? People don't go to HEB. I know your HEB does the most. What do they say? My, no one does more than my HEB. This garden does more than your HEB. This garden feeds the whole of the community. That's what it meant. In an agricultural society, to plant a garden and eat the produce meant to establish a garden that people would then eat from, that you would then eat from. And here's the thing. Establishing a presence through planting a garden is twofold because, one, planting the garden means you got to be there. Why? Because it don't take five days for fruit to come. It takes weeks. Yeah, I, take, say week. I don't know how long it takes, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> but, but I know that it takes longer than a few days. And if you're trying to plant seasonal fruit, it takes years. And so planting a garden, no one plants it to dip out. They plant it to invest. They plant it to work. They plant it to be involved. They plant it to get dirty. They plant it to sweat. They plant it to know and be involved and love it and take care of it and to cultivate it. Plant a garden and eat the produce from it. Friend, can I ask you a question? In your communities, do you know what's happening? Do you know what's happening or do you just show up at 7 p.m.? I respect you. I love you. I ain't saying your work ain't important. I'm asking you, do you know what's happening in your next door neighbor's life? Or do you just show up at 730? This idea of planting a garden meant that, that being involved in the economics understood what was happening in the community and what was affecting the community economically so that you could help, so that you could be present. A great example of this is, uh, is gentrification, right? This idea that, that, man, people like to walk into a neighborhood and just spruce up a home. And I know we all love to have nice homes. I don't want you to think I don't want you to have a nice home, or worse than that, that God doesn't want you to have a nice home. I think God wants you to have a lovely home. If, if you have a lovely home, I hope you ain't looking at God and be like, I'm sorry. But, but here's the thing. Going into a neighborhood and just completely renovating the outside of your house so that it looks like a completely different house than the rest of your neighborhood without the consideration of what that's going to do to the rest of the neighborhood is exactly the opposite of what he's saying. That's the opposite of what he's saying. Why? Because you take your economic benefits, you apply them to your life, and you don't care what happens to the people around you. That's the opposite of that. I hope that you renovate the mess out of the inside of your house. I hope the inside of your house is the most beautiful place you've ever seen in your entire life. But I also likewise deeply pray that you would understand the economics of your community, what your community needs, where your community is at, and you would say, I want to do everything I can to build up this community, not to marginalize it because that's what, that's what understanding the economics of the community looks like. Plant a garden, 
and eat its produce. And so he wants us to, one, establish a presence by being a part of the community. Then he wants us to be involved in the economics of the community. And then he wants to be a part of the relationships in the community. He ends off in chapter uh, 6, I mean, sorry, 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 verse 6, by saying, take wives... Take, hold on, one second, I lost my place here. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. It just means be involved in the relationships in the community. Be involved, know who the other people are. Be involved in them, be intimate with them. Know the ins and outs of them, right? Know what's happening in their lives. And so we establish a presence. That's the first command. But then he continues on, seek the well-being of that city, so first, it's the idea of establishing a presence, but then he says to seek the well-being of the city, and that's in verse 7. The first part of verse 7, he literally just says, seek the well-being, the shalom of the city. But that word shalom is not just the idea of peace, it's in the absence of danger. Well, some of y'all in here, you've been in church your whole life, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, that word shalom is less the idea of just get people out of danger, and it's more the idea of, of try to make that place as close to whole as you can on this side of eternity. It was an idea that, that really produced the, the shape of wholeness, not just safety. Wholeness, to be complete. Not just to be out of the way of danger, but rather to feel like you have the fullness of what it means to live a life of fullness and joy and hope and gladness. And what does Jeremiah want? He's saying, hey, in your community, pursue that shalom. Pursue that peace. Understand what's happening in your community. Understand what's going on in your community. And then from there, give yourself to try and make this community whole. I'm going to say something, but I was going to say something, but I'm not going to say it. I thought, I'll bit my tongue. You're welcome. Because <laughs> you got to be your discipleship problem, not mine. Um, No, 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 you don't want that smoke. No, but what? Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Seeking the shalom or the peace of the city looks like picturing more than just serving the community. It looks like having a vision for your community. It looks like having a vision for your city. It looks like seeing what's broken. It looks like seeing what's fractured and going, I believe through the labor of my hands and the spirit of God at work in them that that can be reconciled, that that can be fixed. It may be through more than me, but it ain't going to be through less than me. So I'm going to give myself to it so that the vision I have for this place that I live can happen. It may not happen in my lifetime. It may not happen in my son and my daughter's lifetime. But I know that we're going to give ourselves to this place because in 70 years when we leave, we're going to solve the well-being, the fullness, the completeness of this city. Do you, have, do you have that? Do you have a vision for where you live? Do you have a vision for your city? I want to ask you that, because I hope you didn't just move here to think you're supposed to go to school. I hope you didn't just move here for a new job. I hope you didn't just move here to get some new friends. I hope you didn't just find that it was boring in your hometown and you wanted a nice little visit to a bigger city that had a, night, a nice nightlife going on. I hope that you recognize that the moment you changed the address on your ID, God placed a calling on your life to seek the fullness of everything that was around you. Why? Because he's seeking fullness for you because he's seeking fullness in you. And because he's doing that in you, he's asking you to do it for those around you. Do you have a vision for where you live? Establish a presence means one, being involved, but it also means seeking the well-being. I love this quote, I don't have enough time to share it, but I'm gonna share it anyway. <laughs> it's by a pastor in Atlanta named Rich Perez. And, and he has this incredible quote in a book of his called 
Mikasa Uptown that is just fantastic. I, it captures this idea so well. Uh, he says that God envisioned that his people would not merely exist there, but would also passionately pursue the welfare of Babylon because when it thrives, you will thrive. In other words, we aren't merely to take up space until things change or God comes to finally establish his city on earth. We're not called to be residents, but neighbors. We're called to hope deeply, imagine creatively, and take ownership of the places God puts us. All right, friends, so we have those two down. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about is in a way to establish a presence is honestly just to pray for the condition of the city. Pray for your city, right? Pray for it. Pray for it to thrive. Why? Because in the community of faith, no one's value is based on whether they're worth it. I want you to hear what I said. I was going to say it. I was going to say it again. Gosh. Pray for your city to thrive. Why? Because in the community of faith, no one's value, dignity, worth is based on whether they're worth it, based on what they've done, based on how they've lived. In the community of faith, we seek for everyone to thrive because Christ died for them. Because the dignity and the value that he unearths on the cross is not one that's made up uh, by how we act, by how we live, by whether we'll make the right decisions, by whether we'll make the wrong decisions, but rather reveals the, 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 the image of Christ that we're made in that God looks at and says, that's worth me collecting for myself in the person and work of Jesus. And so now I send you out into the world, not to be the judge of who's worth it and who's not, but to seek the thriving of everyone who I've made in my image. You, you seek, you pray for the thriving of the city. That clock says I got five minutes. I'm gonna take seven. So uh, I, want you to, I want you to grasp these ideas, right? That, that the call to us, the commands we have in Jeremiah 29 are to establish a presence in the city. And we do that one through being involved in the community, right? By establishing a presence. Can we get that slide back up there? If you can just leave some of that stuff up there, bro, that's probably good. Um, to establish a presence in the city, to seek the well-being or the shalom, the peace, the wholeness of the city, and to pray for the city to thrive. Now, here's my question to you, friend. Can you do that? Can you do that? Because here's the thing. We're talking this right now. We're, we're listing these things up here, and we're saying some of this, and some of y'all are like even hearing it, and you're like, mm -hmm, right, and you're like clapping, and you're getting behind it. But I want to ask you, can you do this? Because here's the thing, this is more than just signing up for a community service on Saturday morning. This is more than signing up to serve here with the well at some point. No disrespect to, to the well, the well's doing great things, but it's more than just signing up for, to serve with the well. This is more than just putting yourself out there in the comfortable environments that you make around you. Because remember, the Jews, the Hebrews in this text, they weren't moving to a new neighborhood. I want to remember, I want to remind you, I should say, of the context that we're in here. This was a command to people that were imprisoned. It was a call to serve and to seek the well-being and to pray for the very city that was their prison. Hear me, this isn't just doing community service. To the command to establish a presence and to seek the well-being and to pray for the city. It's not just doing what's easy to you. This is hard. This is being a teacher, going into your school and recognizing that there's a bunch of kids there that don't care about themselves, much less you, and giving yourself to see that every one of them would succeed. And if that means doing for one what you wish you could do for all, then giving yourself to that. That's what it looks like. 
It looks like going into your job and saying, hey, can I pray for you? And watching the slew of people at your job probably look at you and be like, fam, that's weird. You are a weird person. Uh, you know, that guy's like one of them religious fanatics. And all of a sudden, to keep giving yourself to handle the ridicule, to handle the belittling, but then to come up and say, hey, I got you, when there's a shift that needs to be picked up. This is like looking at your family that has dramatically different political views than you. I know some of y'all are hurting right now, right? That has dramatically different political views than you, who sees the world completely different. In fact, who sees the world probably uh, from your perspective as unjust, and yet you, you, you consistently humble yourself to love them and to be with them and to not be like, I can't be there for Christmas because I can't handle them. No, be with them. Love them. Be present with them. Serve them. Be with them. Pray that they thrive. Seek their wholeness. Seek their completeness. Be present. Why? Man, because what God has done in their life for them, maybe they don't even know it. Maybe they can't even see it. Maybe they don't believe it, but you do. And there ain't no one going to tell them about it. There may not be a single person that tells them about it until you do. This is hard, this is difficult. But here's the thing, that's why, that's why the command of this text is so different than, I mean the call of this text is so different than the command of this text. Because the command of the text is establish a presence, seek the shalom, the wholeness, the well-being, and pray for it to thrive. But in the midst of hard situations, that's difficult. And so the call of the text, rather than just serving, rather than just giving, is to hope in God. You see, the call, the call is the reality that we have to hope in God even when everything else is falling apart, even when nothing that we give ourselves to gives anything back to us. When we pour ourselves out and we pour ourselves out and we pour ourselves out and it feels like nothing comes back and nothing comes back and nothing comes back and it feels empty and it feels hollow and it feels hard, you don't hope in the thing you give yourself to. You hope in the one that gave himself for you. The command is to be present. The command is to give. The command is to serve. But the call is to hope. The call is to hope. He saw an oppressed people. He saw an uh, uh, exiled people, a people under an oppressive hand. And what did he do? He didn't tell them, hey, bump all that. We're going to get you out, I promise. He said, give yourself. Give yourself. Give yourself, give yourself, give yourself, give yourself. Why? Why? Because maybe God had a more beautiful vision for the future than we do. Maybe God has a more beautiful vision for your city, your life, your community, your cul-de-sac, your neighborhood than you do. And maybe the vision that he has requires your obedience more than it requires your righteousness. Maybe his vision for your community and your city and your life requires your humble submission and obedience more than it requires your judgments. Maybe it requires you to sit there and go, I will give myself to this place, but I will hope in you for this place and for myself. Because hear me, the vision that God had was a vision of one who was gonna come and enter into the story, not just for the Hebrew oppressed, but for the Babylonian oppressor. The vision that God had for, for this community of people was gonna be one where the, the same God that now called them to give himself or to give themselves to that city was gonna be the same God that entered into the story and likewise took on the oppression. 
It was going to be a God that entered into the story and took on the pain and the frustration, that took on the hopelessness, that took on the desperation, that took on the frustration of saying, I keep giving myself to this place and this place keeps taking from me, but they don't ever give nothing to me. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to enter into that with you. Because the ones that I've made and the ones that I give to, I'm going to enter their story and they ain't going to give much to me either. But I'm going to keep giving and I'm going to keep giving and I'm going to keep giving. And my giving will lead me to, to sweating blood and my, lead, and my, my giving will lead me to, to, a, to just a frustrated and oppressed feelings. And my, my, my vision will lead me, my giving will lead me, in fact, to the cross to give myself for those very people that are oppressed that I've come to join. But at that cross, I'll also take on the very thing that, the, that, that holds their oppressors captive, their guilt. I'll take on the very thing that holds the oppressors captive in their shame, that holds the oppressors captive in their selfishness. I'll take on the evil and I'll take on the sadness. I'll take on the oppressed. I'll take on the oppressor. I'll take on everything so that in Christ, all could be made one and all could be forgiven. Friends, this is what I need you to know today that the gospel is the hope of the oppressed and it's the hope of the oppressor. The gospel is the hope of the oppressed and the hope of the oppressor. And I want you to hear me. To the extent that you believe that to be true is the extent that you will actually impact the world around you. To the extent that you believe that is true is the extent that you will believe and that you will impact the world around you. Why? Why do I say that? Probably because unless you firmly believe that the people who are marginalized and hurting are worthy of dignity, not because of what they've done, but because of what he's done, you will probably fail to sustain a motivation to keep giving yourself and giving yourself and giving yourself and giving yourself. But until you see that the oppressed, the oppressors, right, the guilty and the angry and the harmful are worthy of forgiveness, again, not because of what they've done, because what they've done is evil, but because Christ has actually died for their guilt. He's died for their shame. He's died to reconcile them to himself. You will never speak truth in love while you're speaking truth to power. And at the end of the day, when we're actually called to go into these communities, we're called to bring together this new humanity of all the guilty and the helpless, the harmful and the harmless, the helpful and the loved and the hated all to become one that all say, hey, did he do it for you too? Did he do it for you too? Do you know what it feels like to be loved by this guy? Because I used to treat people poorly, but then I got loved by the one who loves more than I've seen anyone love before, and I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, I used to be, be hard-pressed to find hope in life, but I got to admit to you, when I felt the freeing love of what it meant to find hope that one day all the pain would be wiped away through that one whose resurrection tells a story that's going to be greater than my present time, man, I, I set my burdens aside and I decided to just start loving people. Like, that's the world that Christ sees. That's the world that God has a vision for. But it takes looking at your life, looking at your neighborhood, looking at your friends, looking at your community, and saying the gospel is for every single person that lives here. It doesn't matter if they're oppressed. It doesn't matter if they're an oppressor. It doesn't matter if they're guiltless. It doesn't matter if they're guilty. If I can take the good news to every single one of these people, man, God will do a work in this community unlike anything I have ever seen. Let me put it to you like this, lovingly. If you're at home right now, well, you ain't at home right now, but <laughs> if you sit at home and you struggle to find the motivation to go out and serve those that are less fortunate, it's probably because you don't believe that. 
If you sit at home and you struggle to find the motivation to go and serve people that are less fortunate than you, it's probably because you don't fully believe that this Jesus died to display the full dignity of what it means to be human and made in his image. But at the same time, hear me, if you're just sitting at home being bitter and frustrated that there's just oppressive systems out there and you ain't willing to forgive anybody and you just want to tear all that down because to hell with those people and you can damn those people, it's probably because you don't believe that God died for them either. And let me, hear, let me tell you something in love. No matter how you go out and serve, if you don't believe this and you're not bringing this truth to people, the world you leave behind after your service will be just as divisive and divided as the world you're entering into right now. The extent that you believe this truth is the extent that you will impact the world around you, friend. That's true. And hear me, if you're struggling to believe that today, it might be because you don't believe it for you. If you're struggling to believe that today, I want you to hear me, it might be because you don't believe it for you. Because at the end of the day, out here in the world, we like to classify people as oppressed and oppressive. But when you look in the mirror, I guarantee you, you see both. I guarantee you there are days where you see the person that's hurting. I guarantee you there are days where you see the person that's suffering. I guarantee you there are days where you see the person that is sad. I guarantee you there are days where you see the person that is sorrowful. And on those same days, you probably walk straight out of that bathroom, straight away from that mirror, and out of that frustration start to treat people around you poor. And all of a sudden, you don't know whether you're oppressed, oppressor, you just know you're sad, frustrated, guilt-ridden, ashamed, angry, and all the like. And who's there for you? who's there for you? Friend, can I tell you something? I ain't gonna sit down. I was gonna do it. <laughs> can I tell you something? No matter where you are, no matter where you are, the gospel is for you. I want you to know, look at me. I don't care if you're taking notes, whatever else you're doing, look at me real quick. In the midst of your greatest shame and guilt, and regret, God took that to the cross to free you from it. And in the midst of your greatest oppression and sadness and, and, and the greatest burdens of your life, God took that to the cross to free you from that as well. Friend, your job in serving is not to go out there and, and just make the world a better place. Your job is to take the good news that God has come into the world and he's seen the broken system and he's seen those two parties and he has given his son in order to redeem them both to one new people in whom the body, in whom God himself now dwells. Ephesians chapter two. Friends, my last question to you today is this. How are you working this into your life? How are you seeing the gospel in your life and the lives of others? How are you actively doing that? You're all at church. That's great. I got to ask you, though, are you plugged into a community of people that's pointing you to Jesus, though? Because I guarantee you, without that, you may be at church on Sunday, but, but all this stuff we're talking about today going to kick in on Wednesday. And until you actually have people surrounding you that love you, that look at you and point you to Jesus, man, you will be right back here feeling the same way you do today next week until you're surrounded by a community of people that point you to Jesus in the midst of your sadness and your oppression and in the midst of your, in the midst of your guilt. How are you finding these stories? How are you finding the gospel in other people's lives? That's what I want you to think about this week.
You have community groups. If you're a part of one, I think that's a great place to ask this question. How are you seeing the gospel in your life and other people's lives? If you're not, let me tell you, serving is going to be horrible for you. <laughs> serving is going to be a burden. It's going to be difficult. But if you can tap into this idea, right, if you can tap into this space and say, God, help me see the gospel in my life and help me see it in their life, I promise you it will start to give a, a certain nuance and a certain beauty and a certain life to everything you do because you will take a good news that redeems and restores and heals and forgives all at the same time everywhere you go. And truly, the, the, the footprints of a peacemaker will be yours. And God will bring extraordinary things everywhere you go, including your city and including your community. That's what I want for you. I hope people that, that know you walk away and be like, man, that person, I wish I could use a name, a Huli. Everywhere Huli's at, Man, God is that. God's there. And he produces life and wholeness in a way that, that I could never do on my own, but somehow Huli did it. Was that Huli? No, it was him. But you're the one that takes it there. So do it. Can you join your church body in doing that? I don't know, I, I don't know what y'all got going on, but Stephanie said y'all have a million serving opportunities. So serve in them, sign up for them, but hear me, take this good news with you. Don't let it just be you. Let it be, let it be the good news of, of what Jesus has done in the world. I gotta pray and I gotta go. Um, but I love y'all, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, um, for your word that invites us into a community, that invites us into um, a city, invites us into hardship, but even in the midst of being present in those spaces, invites us into uh, expressing and showing and displaying your goodness in the midst of that place, no matter our circumstances. Why? Because you've entered into the story and because you've overcome the world and because you've overcome the guilt, because you've overcome the shame, because you've overcome the oppression, because you've overcome the marginalization. And now we walk into the world declaring the good news that the king reigns and we are his ambassadors. A city of God within a city itself that declares the goodness of the one who saved us. We love you, we thank you, we ask you would help us to serve cities in that way. To your glory and for their good, in Jesus' name, amen.